0: Welcome to this special replay of U.S. Rugby Happy Hour Live, except it's not live. It's obviously recorded. This episode kicks off our best of U.S. Rugby Happy Hour Live from 2023. Kind of like Oprah's favorite things, but instead it's Bill and Fitzy's favorite shows from season three. And boy, was it a great season. 35 live shows, 70 podcast episodes, 68 guests from around the globe, and over 25 episodes thousand listens so much fun putting these shows together this past year and talking about putting things together we're already planning for season four lining up some amazing guests including the new usa women's 15s head coach sion Fuka, greg williams and many others so look for the new season to begin early in 2024 thank you so much to all the guests and listeners from around the globe for making us rugby happy hour live a success so now To close out the year and celebrate the end of season three, we are re-releasing some of our favorite shows from this season, starting with this great show with USA Men's 15's interim head coach Scott Lawrence. Scott was on three times this past year, but this last show, uh, just a month or so ago, was packed with great information about the year, ending on a high note in Spain, the future of the program, uh, and Scott's own performance, how do you think he did, and how does he think he did? I think it's a no-brainer to take that interim tag off his title and, and let him run with the program until at least the next World Cup. The players love his style, and the fans, at least the ones I've spoken to, appreciate that he's from the U.S., and it seems like it's an upward trend with the performance of the team. So here it is, our interview with Scott Lawrence from November 29th. Enjoy, and look for the other best of episodes dropping in the next few weeks. Happy holidays. So let's all welcome USA Men's Rugby Interim Head Coach Scott Lawrence. Hey, Scott, how are you? I'm doing
1: well. Thanks for having me on again, guys. So yeah. are you finally getting a chance to relax with the family? Uh, I don't think there's any time for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it, huh? No. <laughs> that, that's it, no. <laughs>
0: You've already been on a couple of times. We talked in these stages over your first year. So, I mean, other than scouting, you know, researching opponents, you know, coming up with game plans. I mean, have were you able to take in any other rugby this past year, perhaps, perhaps some World Cup matches as well?
1: You know, I didn't do any in person, you know, I right. watched uh, most of them uh, remote, but yeah, caught quite a few games and it's always nice, you know, when you see those teams that have a lot of time together, they get a lot of cohesion and you, you start to see some of the new trends emerge. Um, uh throughout the World Cup. so yeah it's been uh, it's been good to see and, and uh, just I guess encouraging, you know I think we saw some of the teams that were in the pools and mm-hmm. you know that we could have been there and, and uh, as a playing nation and, and and I think I know that we will be able to be in the next one um, you know regardless of the expansion, but uh, that you know where I think
0: we're on the right track. right and I was gonna say I mean it's got to be um, promising for you. To see the likes of Portugal, you know, Georgia, Namibia, whatever else, you know, have their shining moments may not be wins, but their shining moments in the matches. So for you watching that and be like, yeah, we can do that. At least we can do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think if we look at the uh, landscape and the things that are coming together uh, for us here, it's um, it's only going to get better in the next couple of years. Let's start off where we ended or where you ended. Spain uh La
0: International Cup. You know, closed out the year with wins over Brazil and Spain. They had to feel good. Is that exactly how you hoped it would end?
1: I think they uh, the wins were certainly nice. Really what we wanted to do was um just do a couple of things uh this year and one was to establish the identity of the eagles and the way that we wanted to operate the eagles environment and the in the second one was to kind of feed the pathways and begin the next generation so look at the top of the of the eagles if you consider the men's national team as the top of the chain and say mm-hmm. you know let's let's make that something that's worth being a part of and then let's start to put the vehicles in place so you know, when I look at the end of year tour, I believe that the team has found itself and its identity and its leadership core and the way in which we want to train and play and apply themselves within the sport. And then when you look at the um, Dom B. Sags or the potential of a Stefan Krimp from the 20s coming through into the mm. senior Eagles towards the end of the year, you start to go, okay, you know, maybe we're making some progress to, towards those two things this year.
2: Scott, we had uh, Nate Osberger on on the show while he was in Spain uh, and he emphasized how winning is contagious and, and how important it was for the group to, to end this season not only with the win but even a, a two game winning streak so uh, w- would you agree with that 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 assessment on um, you know how important it is that the winning is contagious for the group?
1: I think so. I think the, one of the things that um, the coaching staff agreed on right from the beginning uh, when we first got to better, together in July was to make it a hyper competitive environment with lots of gameplay and 15 on 15 and small group stuff so that the feeling of winning and losing and competing and being in tight spots and working your way out was something that was always uh could be was continual in the environment so you know that idea i think you know we started to see the team evolve where they were confident to stay the course they knew they could win they knew how to win in tight spots uh where maybe the team hadn't been able to do that in in the past in the last kind of 20 minutes so you know, they got to celebrate wins all throughout the week. It was actually quite fun when you have guys like Nate Osberger around, or just positive energy, and mm-hmm. just bring that celebration of little practice wins. You know, uh, every every day, and then you know, I think it, uh, I think it carried over into the games. It feels good for the players to win. I think they know need to need to feel that, uh, and then needs to get the buy-in. For me, I would have I would have been satisfied with with the performances we had. Well, Regardless of the result.
2: And speaking of Nate and some calling out some of the individual performances here, Nate seems to be getting better with age. (laughs) Maybe even a position change. But then you have guys like, you know, Joe Mano on the other wing, young and impressive in his debut. Luke White, he played impressive at eight. Man, he had some really good carries in, in those matches. What? What stood out for you from from Joe and and Luke in, in their performances in that two that
1: two game winning streak so far? I think with with Joe in game one, he was probably he he'd tell you he was on the the scoring end of a some team tries you know, that he could convert in space. And, and I think the thing that is underrated in Joe's game and what got him a start in the second game of the series was his defense. And mm-hmm. if you can, uh, if you have a instinctual wing who can play uh, high wing uh, defense and make good reads on the edge, it's a game changer. And so when you look at Joe, you know, he, he benefited from a try in the, in the second part of the game by doing that and he created an opportunity Mm -hmm. on the other wing uh, by doing just Mm -hmm. that so I think uh, you know we know Joe is open in space and he's good in space and a finisher I think an underrated part of his game is um, is his defense I think with with Luke it was just putting him in a position to do what Luke does best again you know Luke was our leading dominant tackler in the team Mm -hmm. uh, over this series but working on uh, just some things where he could be more animated with the ball in his hand, uh, to give himself a little bit of room, a guy like that, he just needs a half shoulder, uh, instead of a full shoulder. And he's going to get through, you know? Mm-hmm. And so those we saw some real growth in in Luke's game, you know, and in, in just a little bit of that footwork and animation. And Scott, you know,
0: you talked about coaching staff earlier. You know, many of them playing and coaching other uh, rugby nations. Uh, what was their take on you know our USA's rugby landscape? And you know, are they handling it well? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, they're still learning, but uh, enormously open and just they they've just been really good. So they they get a bit of a, a smaller snapshot because they just see the players that are that mm. are selected. Uh, we did a lot to try and connect them via video and coach calls and things like that um, with uh, with the MLR teams. But I, I think it's safe to say, you know, Alama uh, is now uh, going to be on the ground uh, mm. here and he's going to learn the landscape and he's really excited to do that. A shining moment against Spain. I don't know if it
0: had much to do with the result of the match, but to see... You know, Mitch and Bailey Wilson take the pitch together in a USA uniform it was a special moment. Was that something written in your notes that if you can make it happen, you would do that for that very exact reason?
1: Not so much. You know, I think I mm. think Bailey earned right. earned his his you know his spot and he earned his cap and he uh, started that journey and um, you know he went all the way through tour uh, through Europe and you know oh, yeah. and then uh, got his game time in in Salt Lake City. So we we didn't think about it, but it was. You know, I think you go through the capping ceremony at, after a player earns their first cap. It's a, you know, kind of a private thing amongst the team, but mm-hmm. I will say it was, a, you know, it was, uh, Mitch was involved in it and uh, it was a pretty special moment, I think, for everybody. Oh, absolutely. And I mean,
0: the last time they, they played in the same pitch together outside of, um, that last Utah was the MLR match when Mitch got his his butt wrung and knocked out, yeah, in, in yeah. front of family. So, <laughs> yeah, in this instance, is much better.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and glad to see Mitch back up and going again. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about momentum, Scott. Uh, momentum can be, you know. A fleeting feeling, obviously, in sports and life. What would you say, uh, um, would you say, obviously, I'm sorry, would you say the program has some momentum going into 24? I think
1: around the standards of what it means to be an Eagle, I, I do. Um, good. I think, you know, we had a, a good-sized playing group uh, through this uh, July to November that all stayed on the program. Alex Ross did a fantastic job with our um, performance, our strength and conditioning, and our overall robustness. And I they saw the results of doing the right kind of work, the right intensity, and and so that you know when when players, especially American players, work hard, it's very important for us as Americans to do hard work. And when they do hard work, and they can see the result in a in a metric that says i have achieved an international level of conditioning it gives them confidence immense confidence and belief and so you know i don't know if that's momentum but i think it's a proof point for them to say, when I go to the very core of what it means to be an American, and that means to work hard, uh, that I'm going to I'm going to improve, and there's going to be results.
2: Hmm. Scott, it's um, it's review time. You're you're a teacher here, so you've got what five test matches, I guess six games if you count that exhibition against uh, to lose in your tenure as interim head coach. What grade would you give yourself? Wow, that's a great one. I'm gonna say. Solid B. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oop. B plus. I'm
0: going with that.
2: <laughs> Bill always got graded on a curve, so he's we're always inflated.
0: <laughs> I usually held it down. Curve.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's the other way to look at it, I guess. But so, B. What? Uh, what would you say um, needs improvement, or what are you still working on?
1: I think um, you know. I'll, I'll step back and say, from a GM perspective, I think we were able to focus at the U20s and the senior team. And the, you know, a little bit on the Hawks, but uh, I think our our U18s is a next level of investment and our criteria around how we select and identify players and really move from possibly even identifying to more recruiting of, uh, of, of players um, is probably fits our model a little better. So I'd say that was the that was the biggest part of the improvement i'd I'd want to make into next year i think um when we look at the total portfolio of things that make the team really run well i think we we need to press harder on our operational bits in terms of getting maximum performance from the way that we set the environment and uh, the way we travel and things like that but um you know, I, I think we've got a plan to improve those for next year.
2: Got it. And if, if you could have extended the year 2023, say, by another month or two, would you have been able to accomplish more? Let me, let me try and rephrase that. Was there anything you wish you could, you wish you had more time for in 2023?
1: Oh, my gosh. When you're national team coach. You wish you had time all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I think, uh, I think some of the things that, you know that are coming in here in the early part of next year, I mean, I think you guys have seen with the Owen Farrell announcement around you know mm-hmm. kind of mental health and his his break from international rugby. I think performance psychology and well being of the players is something that'll be layered into the men's fifteens pathway as programmatically as part of the performance plan for next year. I would have liked to have given that benefit uh to the players. Um, you know, to set them up for their upcoming mlR season. I think I think that would have been that would have been, uh, you know, a real, a real plus for them. Scott, let's, let's jump into the player pool. Let's talk about
0: current and future players. Uh, and I'm going to start with the locks right now. You know, Nate Brickley retiring just recently, a, a really nice last couple matches for him. So retiring a year ago, you know, how are we looking at the second row as far as prospects? I mean, how deep does it go beyond the point of like Greg Peterson, Cam Dillon and others?
1: Well, I think if, you know, if you look at kind of where we're looking it's in that kind of lock six highly athletic hmm. back row um going forward so you know when you look at uh, sam gala um i think he's a nice a nice prototype of what uh the way we see things uh going forward i think uh we saw a lot of growth uh from cc C. mahoney mm-hmm. um in uh in this in this year and in the campaign i think there's a number of kind of lock prospects that are have been signed into the MLR this year. We're still pretty young um, there that, but I, that's a bit of a wait and see to see if they come through on the next
0: year or so. And then, you know, looking at, um, more player pathways, we talked about Joe Mano earlier, uh, world rugby shared a great story about him chronicling the, the journey he took, you know, uh, to the Warriors and then through men's Eagles program. It seemed like he was almost done on his dream at one point to play top flight. You know, it yep. seems like there are others like Joe Mano, like as well, players out there in the U S trying to get discovered. Have you noticed many players like that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the, um, you know, the, the other guy that's, that's like that, that, uh, could have easily started in place of Joe was a really tough decision was Ina Futi. Oh yeah. Um, you know, in Seattle, you know, if you'd listen to Ena's uh, story, he'll tell you, you know, he was almost forgotten there, mm. you know, in Seattle and then showed back up and he's, he's a wonderful talent, but, um, you know I, I think there's always even though we we're not uh, completely amateur anymore i think there's i think the scouting networks and the identification domestically even for professional teams and for the national governing body i think we still got plenty of players that are slipping through the cracks so it's incumbent on us to have a really solid athlete management um you know there's software there's a system for it but really more the programmatic piece around how we we track players and identify players and keep tabs on them um that's a that's a major part of kind of 2024 initiatives and then talking about the hawks usa hawks can you talk talking more about their program coming into
0: the 2024 season we'll see more matches what's that going to look like
1: we're gonna have between nine and ten matches um, wow. so I've, I've got a 10 tentative uh, schedule that's been agreed and I'm trying to work with our partners to get that signed off here in the next week so uh, the team will assemble uh, January 6th in uh, in Charlotte uh, we wanted to do that um, ahead of the major League rugby preseason start mm-hmm. uh, because of the the outcomes we want from the program is, uh, you know, they, these guys need an accelerator, a head start. So we wanted to get some extra preseason. By shifting the Hawks a little bit to the left of Major League Rugby, there's uh, less overlap in the number of games that the players would be gone if they're gone from uh, from the MLR. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we hope that... Um, You know, by going away a little bit early, having four full weeks ahead of time and (laughs) uh, being able to get. Anywhere up to nine to ten games uh, of appearances will, you know, and then come in and then it's, you know, week three of Major League Rugby. We hope that puts them in a spot to get more minutes. Well, please do us a favor. Please get it live
0: streamed. All those matches. We got to watch those matches. All right. <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll, I'll toss to you fitzy. <laughs> I'll, uh, I will. Uh, I'll tell the right people.
2: <laughs> what we'll bill posted up his iphone and a, and a wi-fi connection and we'll whatever just... it takes <laughs> there you go i'd love to
0: go back to charlotte yes let's go <laughs>
2: scott looking ahead to the uh the 2027 rugby world cup cycle you know we've i guess fortunately or unfortunately depending on how you look at it we've had a, a fans have had a year head start after not making the 23 world cup to start thinking about the the cycle for 2027 i guess in terms of you know i guess the the question was based around fans but can fans what can they anticipate? Will we see a balance of new players getting time and finding the core twenty-three for qualifiers, or is it, or is it more important to get kind of a core group playing together more than before? You know, kind of lots of minutes together. Yeah,
1: I think um, we're gonna have a a nice full test schedule next year, um, and we'll we'll continue to do like we have. Uh, now, you know, you need a core a group of players, some of which will be involved in 27, and some of which will not, that need to establish the learning and, comp- and competitive environment for the other players that are being introduced into it. And so that's an important role. And, and, and a lot of these more senior players know that that's their role uh, for the next couple of years. So I think, you know, we capped 15 new Eagles this year. Um, and we will, uh, continue as, as long as they are getting minutes in major league rugby and performing well and show upside, we'll continue to introduce more players into the squad in the next year with the idea of, um, by 2025 and uh, 2026, having a, a team that's, you know, qualified and then going to 2027.
2: Great. Scott, we've got a um, an online listener question here, talking a little bit about some of the overseas players Um, looks like agent McGinty he won't be able to return to Bristol till at least February you know recovering from a surgery where I think his hamstring ripped off his bone which sounds extremely painful Uh, yeah (laughs) <laughs> and then, of course, uh, Ruben DeHaas recovering from his ACL surgery, although it sounds like he had the same surgeon who fixed the ACL of Khaleesi. And then four or five months later, he was playing in the Rugby World Cup. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess the question there is like, what's the plan to bring them along? Is it the kind of slowly to make sure they're, they're healthy and, and can contribute meaningfully?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, our our next really international window access to the players isn't until July of next year. So their return return will be well in advance of that and working with their clubs. And, you know, I expect them to have a few months under their belt as long as they stay healthy uh, for an opportunity to be selected
0: next year. Nicely done. Uh, OK, let's go to our first listener, um, Aaron. Aaron Castro, you're out right there, man. How you doing?
1: Scott. I know you're gonna hate me because we work together sometimes, but um, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what is your view? I guess on talent ID, and and when is it time for players to develop? Because I I think most of the time when I look at players in Europe and all these guys that you know make their professional debut at 19, for every Marcus Smith or Owen, Owen Farrell, there are hundreds of players that end up playing 10 games and never make it as professionals. Yeah. um, Mine was much smaller scale, but I had a disastrous U 20 campaign by picking the squad early and not introducing new players and new competitive Um, was a major change would never do that again. And that's why every Eagles assembly has more players in it than the ones that'll actually get on the plane to go to the game is, you know, you need to have a wider net um, and you need to create competition and reward for good performance in, in the training environment. So I think the big thing is, is not necessarily around rigid criteria. You have to have some sort of filtering exercise. You have to be willing to tell somebody their kid's ugly once in a while but (laughs) what you what you really need to have is in in what we're driving towards are more experiences for players between the ages of 16 and 18 and then um extending the hawks down into the 18 to 23 age range so that there is a defined set Of time where they're not pushed to be a professional too early but they're also in a full-time environment where they can develop and that's the true measure of selection Um, right now we're kind of saying we're trying to pick these players and they're kind of they're kind of spread out and some are in good programs and others are in better programs and and I think the big thing is to provide the experiences for them um, so that you can actually get a wider pool of of players in and see how they matriculate like there's more things in the north american soccer landscape than just the selection too early um there's definitely the rigidity and you know that uh of the programming and things that led to some of the you know outcomes not being what they wanted there and um there's lessons to be learned but I think that's, that's the, that's the big thing there. So let's talk about more players. Now uh, we love your concept,
0: uh, not the concept, we love your, your idea about, you know, the the desire to play for USA, not just play for USA, but uh, the honor of wearing the uniform, you know, the USA logo on it. So when looking at overseas players, like let's just, for instance, Hawaiian prop, uh, Salonola, who's in Ireland, um, USA qualified fly half, uh, Hilsenbeck, who plays in France, are you concentrating less, more, or the same amount on these overseas talents like them? I mean, you know, with the mindset of what you said about the, the desire to play for the country, is it one of those things where you just reach out and say, you have interest? Nope, okay, fine, go away.
1: I mean, it, are you concentrating overseas at all? For, for me, it's more um, at, at this particular time where we are with the development of the team is not necessarily recruiting, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, asking guys if they're... Uh, interested in playing for the United States, everybody who's been a part of the program has reached out to us Mm. so far. And I think that's an important first step um, uh, to to right now to be in the Identity of Eagle. And and with the growth of our own professional league here and the number of opportunities for American players, um, that's where we need to be to be honest, because we ha- we have other options. So,
0: yeah.
1: um, so I, I think that's, that's the big thing is there's a desire to do it. You know, they first, uh, reach out and, you know, there are guys that have fallen out of our system that we're trying to get back into our system so that's where I make a phone call like a, you know a Nafi Mafu who's right he's over at Mm Bearden's right now coming back from an injury Uh, he would have been in camp had his knee been fully recovered this time around great second row prospect for the future Um, and uh, you know so I do I, I reach out to those guys and for whatever reason they got lost along the way they ended up in a French Academy somewhere and and, uh, you know, and, and kind of forgotten. And we, we try and go track him down.
0: And speaking of these players overseas, I mean, I wouldn't bring him up because if he wasn't such a talent. But T.J. Lamasatelli, I mean, do you have any comment about him not making himself available for USA? It could be any reason, contract, whatever over there. But is he someone that you reached out to? And, you know, is he, I don't know, any, any comment about that situation?
1: You know, I, I, I didn't reach out to, to T.T. because I really... I think Gary went the extra mile in trying to get Mm. TT into the Eagles and um, ultimately didn't get a response. And, you know, so I didn't at that, at that point when I came on board, I I just kind of looked at it and said, you know, if anybody was going to be able to do it and should have done it, it should have happened before. And, and so, um, you know, I just kind of moved on from that.
0: Yeah, like you said, it's it's the the uh, um, the want to wear the jersey, that kind of thing is important. So, all right, 2024, Scott, what's next? Um, other than a break for the holidays, obviously for you, or maybe you're not having that, but um, uh, how are you beginning the 2024 calendar, like the first couple months?
1: Uh, the first thing will be, uh, you know, is to finish up here in December is to wrap up the year and then, do a formal review of, uh, of what we've done and kind of do that with the players. And then as we move into this next year, it's as the MLR teams are finalizing their rosters, um, just making sure that we have an accurate gauge and ongoing dialogue with the professional teams around where the American eligible players sit. Uh, and then, uh, we started to publish, um, metrics, Uh, To the playing base, the American playing base last year, they were quite simple metrics. Uh, And we feel like um, we have a set of kind of energy driven metrics that we'll be talking to MLR teams about, to players about, that go along with um, not only the number of minutes and appearances, but the quality of the minutes that they're producing uh, from week to week. I think what that does is gives us uh, confidence that, These things are metrics that drive really uh, high density intensity so that they can they can perform at the international level, but play in their club's uh, system and establish hopefully a common language um, uh, for selection. So that'll roll out, you know, in the first uh, couple of months. Obviously, we'll be focused on getting the Hawks uh, up and running and. And, uh, and getting those games. And then um, through, the, through the season, we'll be visiting teams and visiting players and, and watching games and trying to pick the best squad for July.
2: Scott, and as we look into 2024 more, um, fans, they care about games, right? And I'm checking my notes here. I could have this number wrong, but I'm reading potentially 13 games in 2024, um, including the, the rebranded Pacific Nations Cup um, You know, when the international window opens up. But um, I guess, can you share when the first test matches in 2024 will be? <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, it should be July 6th and then the 13th uh, will be the first two. And then, um, you know, we'll we'll look at a third in that kind of July, August. I think one of the things that will be coming out here, you know, as we go with Pacific Nations Cup is a new Reg 9 window, which is, you know, the release window for professional players to international rugby will be grouped into the Southern Hemisphere calendar which means, a, you know, a big window, uh, August and, uh, and September. So I, I think we'll probably, I, th- I don't think we'll get to 13. I think you'll see three in kind of the, the July window, three in November, that's six, and then a potential of five uh, through the PNC. You know, it can be four or five depending on performance.
0: So, Scott, one or two more questions for you. I want to touch on MLR with you really quick. Um, obviously, you have history with MLR. Any worry about the conflict with the
1: July playoffs
0: and the July international window, and how will that be handled?
1: Sure, I think um, um, definitely... I wouldn't say a worry, but it is something we have to work through. It, it's uh, it's inevitable. It's a it's a professional league that needs to that's providing players professional opportunities and needs to be commercially viable. Um, so there's there's reasons for for the schedule change in the major league rugby side. On the international rugby side, it, you know what it means is between now and one week before July sixth, we won't see the players uh, in camp. And so, you know, you're going to kind of go away for eight months and maybe get five to six days of prep before your first test match. So I think, you know, we'll have to work on making sure through the metrics I talked about, the players come in in good condition. That we maintain connection uh, to the team and alignment leading into July, but expect the performances to be what they are in, in early July. With you know, as time increases together in August and September through the PNC, I think we'll see the teams, the teams start to you know play the way they should. And there's no issues with availability of players, right? I mean, other
0: leagues say pro, you know, a top 14, whatever contracts have worked where some players cannot be released is there's no issue for that right
1: that's right i mean it's um there's a there's a reg nine window um yep and which says you know we notify all the leagues ahead of time but you know on the other hand you there's always human behavior is what it is and sometimes there's things said to players you know about renewal of contracts and things and that certainly happened in the past you know Uh, You know, again, with MLR, with your history with rugby ATL or,
0: you know, Atlanta, generally speaking with other clubs, uh, what's your take on Atlanta losing an MLR franchise? I mean, that's a tough break.
1: I think it's uh, it's 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 disappointing for the for the city here, I think. uh, And, you know, kind of the playing community, I think the fan community um, that got around the team. I think obviously the um, the Rattlers were. You know that group of fans. Mm-hmm. We're were, uh, we're a great group, and uh, I think you know that 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 part of it's a bit sad. I think you know the 404. Well, it turned into a different name, but at the time it was the 404 Academy, and right. and what you know what we we're doing there. I think you know. I think that part uh, will certainly be missed, but I think the thing that's really dawned on all of us is you know, with the passing of Marcus Calloway and ultimately what that meant for Atlanta. And then, then the passing of Bill Webb and what that meant for Toronto. And, you know, these, those are two men who are just absolutely, you know, um, the best human beings on the planet, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you, you lose them and there's, there's a lot of other things that go with it. So, um, it's disappointing, but it's it's even more disappointing, um, you know, for for Toronto, um, right. you know, and and what's happened there.
2: Yeah, I wish we had more time to talk about that, but I, Scott, I, I did like one final question for you, um, and this is more just around the America's Rugby Championship. But uh, it, I'm hearing rumors that potentially that's coming back, but more as a U twenty three level style competition. I
1: I don't think the. Uh, the arc in its form what i have seen is some um some potential for some kind of u23 um competition with inside of what's called uh, rand so you know Mm -hmm. um and uh and i think there's an opportunity for that i i think for us the way we're approaching it is it's another opportunity for our u20s uh to play we we obviously have an ambition to go back to the junior world trophy again this year um and so uh, time together starting in may will be critical and i think it'll fall into that window all right scott listen man that's
0: all we have all the time we have um i mean if if we had to say it all over again uh we would strip the interim tag off your title because one it's a mouthful when introducing you (laughs) (laughs) and two because you and really pretty much every usa fan um believes you deserve it so uh seriously good luck in this next 2024 not just for the team alone but for you as far as head coach um and we really do looking forward to talking to you again soon all right thank you guys thanks for having me on all right thanks man enjoy the holidays you do too